Well, last week I, I started uh, on some messages I'm going to do over a little period of time called Legacy, but um, I, I had a conversation at the end of the meeting with uh, a long-standing woman in our church that we love, and uh, it, was, it was good to be able to just talk. I'd asked, how are you doing? And, and uh, she just welled up with tears, and I said, doesn't look so well. I'm sorry I asked. It's a bit awkward to kind of solve this in the front of the church, so I'll just talk with you afterwards. And I got just talking for a little bit, and... Uh, and began to realize just the pain that she was feeling over um, relationships that she'd had that had been broken or had become distant or strained. And I thought it would be really uh, helpful, good for me, if for no one else I'll preach to me today, but it, really good for us just to look at just the issue of, the, of managing your journey through change. And uh, I don't want to have a big preachy message. I want to share with you from my heart as I've thought about it and tried to identify as we walk through change. Uh, the word change, I've come at sometimes I hate it. The word transition, I've come to detest. Uh, however, because there's some emotional feelings around it. So I felt it's better to just stop and pause and, and just to help us to talk about some things. And uh, this will apply to you whether you've been part of our church or whether not because all of us go through changes in life. So I want to just look at the thing of managing the change in, changes in life, managing the journey of change. First thing, a couple of facts about change. Change is inevitable. You just, it's just not real to think there aren't going to be changes. We tend to think everything will just go on, but it, change is inevitable. Change is necessary. It's important that change takes place. Uh, change is also uncomfortable, because we're creatures of habit. We don't like things to change. We like it like it used to be. The older you get, the more you like it like it used to be, in fact, you have a fantasy about what it used to be, that you, what it used to be was really great. But that, that, that re the reality is we have to make changes. And, uh, but change is an opportunity as well. And uh, some changes we initiate. So I'm sure all of us have, have gone through changes in life that we initiated. You made a decision, made a choice, and there was a consequence of it. And so there was a change. And you may have not expected the change. You may have uh, made a big mistake on something you purchased or done some other goofy thing, and then you have to make some changes. But uh, the changes that are sometimes difficult to handle are the ones that we have no control over, changes that are initiated by others, but they affect us, or changes that take place in circumstances, and we have no power over them, but we have a choice how we will respond. One of the great things about the gospel is it empowers us to live a powerful life. It empowers us to live a great life. And yet many Christians don't do that because somehow they don't see what their part is in it. We kind of think God's going to do it all. And when God doesn't turn up the way we expect or people don't turn up the way we expect, then we get very disappointed, we get angry, and then people draw away from God and away from one another. And we want to just talk about that. So it's like some changes that you have no power over. A friend dies or a family member dies, or uh, perhaps there's a, a redundancy. We often don't have power over redundancy, but a redundancy can be hugely impacting, and it affects everyone around them. You know, we went through that last year. We went through a change where there were two staff made redundant, and that had huge impact on everyone connected to those people. So they're not changes that you had anything a say in, and yet it happens and it affects us. And, and so this is true of every area of life. An accident can create a huge upheaval of change. I'm just um, talking with Bryden about his son, and we've all prayed for his son Joseph to go off to Australia and a whole new career, and then he's assaulted in the street, and he's come back. His plans have changed. It's like totally unexpected. Just something happened, 
And he had no power over it, but he has power to choose how he'll manage the change, manage what's happening. So uh, friends move away, someone betrays you, all of these kinds of things are changes we have no power over, but the one place we all have power is how we'll respond and interact with life. So whatever life dishes up to you, you choose how you respond. And uh, so we want to talk a little bit about this. You have what's called, I saw this written down somewhere, responsibility. In other words, the ability to choose how you will interact with difficult situations and respond to them. Whether they're in marriage, whether they're in family, whether they're in finance, whether they're in relationships, you have the ability, it's given to you by God, to choose how you'll engage it, how you'll interact with it. That is your part, your responsibility. And so we can run from difficulties, we can hide from them, we can pretend they're not there, we can try and minimize them, or we can just straight up, front up, to face the difficulties of life and interact in a godly way. I want you to read that. I'm going to read this verse in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So what did God not give you? He did not give that to you. So no matter what the circumstances you're facing, God did not bring fear to you. Fear is a spirit. It affects our thinking and our, our way of interacting and and uh, so if your heart is governed by fear, it'll show in your body, you get uptight, it shows in your face, shows in your voice, shows in your eyes, shows in how you interact with people. When fear governs our heart, it will affect how we'll approach people and situations. Fear uh, can greatly uh, cause impact on our life. Sometimes people, because they're afraid, they hold back. Sometimes they withdraw, sometimes they hide. People do all kinds of things. Sometimes people act real happy, but they're not happy at all. And this creates, if we live like that, a lack of being authentic. It just creates an unreality where it's praise the Lord, but inside I'm crying. And unfortunately, often in church, people are praise the Lord, but, and that's, it's necessary we honor God, and, and that's how we access His presence. But we also are people who feel, who have experiences, and we need to be honest with God. He calls us to worship Him in spirit, but also in truth. And the word means to not cover anything, but to be authentic in connecting with them. Uh, our difficulty is in that area of being real. So notice God has not given us a spirit of, uh, of fear, but he has given us another spirit. Now he's given us the spirit, the Holy Ghost, and this is what he calls that spirit, a spirit of power, supernatural ability to face up to any situation. How about that? And it's inside you already. You've got to learn to access it by making good choices. He's given you a spirit of love. In other words, the Holy Ghost will always move you to love. He will never move you to fear. If you yield to fear, you'll quench the spirit of God inside you, and you'll act in ways you later have to repent of. God calls us to flow in love. And you say, well, it's too hard. He says, well, I've got all the love to give you that you need for that personal situation. It's something that God gives to you. Notice, God has given it to us. It's not something you've got to wait for another day. God has already given you the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. Therefore, you have all the power you need to act in a way that will bring life into situations. You have all the love that the Holy Spirit will provide to love the unlovely people and to respond in a loving way. And a sound mind. A sound mind. That's a good thing to have, especially as you get older. But the word means literally to get sober, to think clearly. Or it means to have self-control. So get what he's saying. He's saying whatever situation you find yourself in life and in relationships, 
We need never yield to fear. It doesn't come from God. God has given us something that's suitable for every situation. He's called the Holy Spirit. He lives inside you. He will empower you to step up into whatever situation you face. He will give you enough love to love people and forgive them and do whatever's needed. He will also help you manage. He will help you manage your emotions and your responses so you can represent him well. So what a great thing we've got. Isn't it fantastic that God has given you all of those things? So you can make a choice on how we respond. Every one of us can do that. So changes in relationships are often very painful. And I want to just pull out just a few things that some of you may say, man, I know that one. And some of you may say, oh, I'm in that one. So uh, in, 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 in Proverbs 18, verse 24, it says, A man that has friends must show himself friendly, and a brother is born for adversity. So in other words, a person is a brother. We're called brothers and sisters. We're in the family of God. We're connected because we have a common father. And we were born into this family for times of adversity. In other words, God brought us into the kingdom. So in adversity in life, we can shine. We can represent what God is like. We're not called to just talk about God, pray to God, have meetings where we praise God. We're called to actually walk it out in real life relationships. So when people worship and prophesy, do many, many things, but they don't know how to connect, relate, and walk in good relationships, something's missing. Something's really missing. There's a brokenness and something's wrong inside, and the person needs to be made right. And, to actually, and, and so relationships reveal the quality and substance of our walk with God. That's why relationships are important. You can't be a Christian without having relationships. Relationships, uh, being a Christian, we're connected to Christ, and we represent him by connecting with one another. That You can't separate the two. You try and separate the two, it becomes incredibly weird. So... Being a Christian or disciple or follower of Jesus, this is what Jesus said in, 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 in John chapter 13, verse 35. This is how people will know you're my disciples. You've got a big Bible. This is how people know you're my disciples. You go to three meetings a week. This is how people know you're my disciples. You're up praying every day. Now, all of those things may be good, but he, Jesus said, this is how a follower of Jesus actually can be identified. And what is the answer to that? By? Eh, by? your love for one another. Now look around on the person on the next seat and behind you, that's the another. And the one who isn't there, they're another as well. And you think, well, I don't mind loving Jesus, but I'm having a bit of trouble with that person right behind me now. That's why I'm sitting in front of them so I don't have to look at them because it would ruin my meeting. And that's what this is about. It's about my meeting. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so Jesus said this is how his followers. So we can be following all kinds of things, but if we're following Jesus, he said the fruit will be in how we treat people, how we interact with people. Very, very crucial, very, very important. So when hurts take place in a relationship, come from all kinds of reasons. Let's face it, hurts are inevitable. Disappointments are inevitable. Misunderstandings are inevitable. It's all part of life. But we choose how we'll engage it. We choose how we'll interact. We can choose to relate with love or fear, with love or fear. At the end of the meeting, we're going to have time of communion to remind us of the price, what it paid Christ to bring us back into the possibility of having great relationships. So, <clears throat> one of the dilemmas, I was raised in a family that was silent. Uh, my generation and those who are about my age would all know we didn't talk about stuff. How many didn't talk about stuff? 
went to Catholic schools and someone got into trouble, you didn't talk about it. They just vanished. No one knows where they went. They went away somewhere and came back later and we didn't talk. And there was actually a culture of not talking. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and of course, many in that age generation didn't talk about anything. So you didn't know what was going on and secrets abounded. All kinds of secrets. And of course, this is an incredibly unhealthy culture to live in. And unfortunately, whenever you have a culture of silence and people not talking, there's always dysfunction and devastation and death. That's why we need to be able to talk. It's important to communicate and to know and develop the skills of communicating. There's a a notable story uh, of David's son, uh, Absalom, and you remember Absalom and all that went with him, but Absalom's big issue was that when there was a tragedy in the family, he refused to let his sister talk about it. And the result was she became devastated because she couldn't talk about it. She was shut down and held into silence. And he became bitter and full of hate, and eventually it broke out and he murdered his brother. That's the consequence of a code of silence in a family. You can have a code of silence in whole institutions and organizations. And when there is that kind of silence, it brings death because people can't talk or ask questions or interact or satisfy themselves that they're hearing and finding the truth. So it brings death. So, so one of the things is that when we go through changes, stuff happens. And so we've had a number of changes. We're going through a leadership change. It's perfectly normal in a leadership shift for there to be changes in a congregation. It's completely normal, completely predictable. But it can be good changes and it can be not so good changes. And we've got to learn how to manage both. Some can be really good for people. They've heard from God. It's time to make a change. They make a change. It's a great change. I've walked with some people through some great changes. We sat down and talked, recognized what God was doing, honored what God was doing, expressed appreciation and value. Very, very good transitions and changes. For some people, it's not like that because of silence. Over the years, I have had uh, my own struggles with not with coming out of being silent and talking about stuff. And it's taken me quite a journey. I know some of you here have made major break- breakthroughs. I mean, for Brian, I remember when he stood up in here and shared something that he'd been silent about for years and just the, the liberation it brought to everyone else. He could just talk about it. Just This is a powerful thing when you break out of that place of isolation. You know, the Bible says if we walk in the light... Uh, as he is in the light, then we have relationship, fellowship, connection with one another, and there's a cleansing flow of the blood of Jesus to meet every possible failure. But the, the decision is to walk in the light. So obviously in the process of a leadership change, there will be a number of changes, and, and, uh, and I, my, my feeling on it is always this. I have made changes in my life, but I've always made changes according to being led forward by God, never any other way. And uh, so uh, I want to share with you, first of all, first I want to identify some things that some of you may feel in the process of change. I just want to put language to it because sometimes we're a very prophetic church. So we feel things, sense things, and then, but don't always talk about them. So I want to just throw out a few things that you may be feeling already in some relationships with people that you've walked with for many years. And so I want to identify them. And then I want to give you a simple strategy how to walk through and handle those things so you are empowered. Remember, it doesn't matter what anyone else does or did. What determines your future is what you do, and you can make powerful choices. How about that? That's a good thing to do. So 
one of the things that, or practical evidence that relationships have become breached or something is going on, I'll just give you uh, just some that came to me as I was thinking about it, uh, and some of you may be experiencing this. The first thing is uh, a sense of disconnection and distance with someone you were really connected to, someone you were close to, and now it feels when you meet them or you just feel kind of like there's a major disconnection or there's a distance. You can't put anything down, you haven't changed, you haven't said anything, done anything, but now there's a distance. It's quite a common thing that you find. People distancing from you, they are withdrawing because they've got something going on inside them and they're not talking about it. That's what's happening. And so the consequence of withdrawing is hard for you to work out what does that mean. What does that mean? Well, don't put any meaning on it. Because if you put meaning on it, you'll judge it. Uh, if people draw back, there could be all kinds of stuff going on. I might just be sick. Uh, it could be perhaps they're going through a transition in life. Perhaps they're going through something. You don't know why people drew back. All you know is the behavior. They're drawing back. There's a distance. So don't speculate ever why someone's doing what they're doing. Just allow them that's what they're doing. They're drawing back. And the normal thing when someone is drawing back is they're trying to protect themselves or recover from something they're not handling or don't want to handle, uh, and they're starting to isolate themselves, and that's never a very, very healthy thing. So if you're feeling a tension, uh, usually the person will uh, avoid eye contact, they'll stay away from you, they'll resist connecting on the phone, uh, they, they try and distract your attention, don't want to talk about stuff, you know then they're withdrawing and you feel the tension. How many know what I'm talking about? You felt that tension. About plenty of times. It's a horrible thing. I hate it. And I've learned now when, when, when there's that kind of tension, there's spirit powers that operate, and you can choose how you interact and deal with that thing. And uh, I'm having to make much better choices. And uh, so, the, so, the, so the first one is disconnection. Second is that comes is there's a tension uh, uh, or, or a, an awkwardness as you start to talk with the person. And that's because there's unspoken things going on. And, uh, and so you've got to make a decision what you're going to do. There could be all sorts of things. Don't speculate. You might think, well, they don't like me anymore. They're my friend now. You don't like me. What is that? Don't speculate what it might be. You just don't know. All you can say is there's a tension, there's a distance. I should inquire. That would be a better response. So maybe an offense. Sometimes there's a tension because people have made terrible judgments. They may have made the judgment on partial information. Who knows? But all you know is something's going on inside them. There may be a deep sense of criticism and, and despising and looking down on someone else because they think they're right and they're, the others are wrong. All that kind of stuff can be in someone's heart. You just don't know. All you know is that you're feeling the distance and feeling the tension, and that would be a good situation to acknowledge instead of speculating and just ask some questions. And I'll show you what to do or how to do that in just a moment. So it may be just the person's feeling grief. They may feel struggle of their own situation. Who knows what it is? Sometimes when you meet people uh, who've made a change or shift, you're exposed to criticism and, uh, or pressure to do what they're doing. And uh, I have been in that a number of times. I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been on the situation where I was pressured to conform to a group that were going a certain way. And I remember having to stand up uh, this is many years ago, having to stand up against a, 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 a movement which was breaking away from new life. I had to make a stand, and it cost me dearly to make that stand. There was a pressure to go with the crowd and do what the crowd were doing, but I waited to hear from God, and it was painful and it was costly. And I said, well, I understand why you're doing what you're doing, but God has really clearly shown me this is the course I should take. And it cost me. So you find sometimes when you take a course that's different to what other people take, 
then it costs you. It costs you sometimes the relationship, sometimes it can be repaired, sometimes never. You've just got to accept then that's just God is just doing something and I've got to work with what he's giving me and what he's telling me to do. Very, very difficult times those. Uh, sometimes uh, in that kind of situation, you feel the pressure on you and it becomes around who's right and who's wrong. I have come to realize it doesn't really matter who's right and who's wrong. The reason is because God places value on relationship, not on who's right and who's wrong. So if you don't ever be caught into a debate about who's right and who's wrong, you already are on the wrong side of the fence because your spirit is one of pride, trying to justify yourself. And the Lord showed me very clearly when I was going through a season of conflict, he said, certain spiritual powers will manipulate your life and relationships if you try to justify yourself, defend yourself, explain yourself, or prove that you're right. You'll just invite a fight you don't need. Stay on course with what God is showing you to do. So all of those are, are pressures that sometimes create tension and defilement in relationships. Some of you may be finding and feeling that. And when a person brings pressure on you to go along with what they want, it's called witchcraft, just in case you didn't know. And that lovely, nice Christian friend you've had for years is practicing witchcraft, emotional witchcraft, and it's horrible because you feel such turmoil inside because the spirit power is pushing against you. So you've got to learn how to stand in those places when there are difficulties and tensions. I've had them, a whole number of them, and I would say almost every major decision I made in my life on my spiritual journey, not many of them, probably about five, maybe six, every one of them I had to walk through the valley of death of facing people saying we disagree and sometimes violently opposing me and sometimes actually running me down and, and, and I lost so many friends all at once. Just one decision, I lost everyone at one time. I got most of them back, but there was just that period where you just have to learn to stand on what God has given you. It's the making of men and women of God to make a stand when you need to make a stand. And you've just got to handle what goes with it, but what goes with it is needs to be resolved. Now, I haven't always been the best at doing it. And uh, finally, the last one that seems to happen uh, as a result of that is feelings of grief and sadness that seem to accompany this kind of thing because you actually feel like something's changed, something I had which was alive is gone. If, if a person dies, you go through a normal process of grief, you bury the body, walk on, and then eventually get on with your life, maybe a year, two years. But when someone you're in relationship leaves you, now they're still alive and so are you. But the feelings of death are all there, are the feelings of grief. And so uh, people go through a bit of an unreality, then feeling angry, and then trying to bargain around it and sad. And eventually, you can come to a process of change. So when, we, when a relationship breaks down, a, a family, a marriage, whatever, uh, breaks down with relationships, you have long-standing friendships, there's a process of grief to deal with it. And it's normal to have to go through the grief. It's just a little journey, and you come out the other side. And uh, I'll show you just some simple things you can do in that. And, of course, the big thing is we have to reorient. So for some of you who've had some close friendships and you've lost them or seem to have lost them, all is not lost. You just need to reorient and reconnect. And I'll, we'll just talk about that now. So how do you handle that journey of change? How many know what I'm talking about with all this stuff? And uh, so here's some simple things you can do. The thing is... You can't control what other people do, but you can make great choices what you do. And the choices you make become the making of who you are. So every time you go through adversity, every time you go through difficulty, every time you go through pain, you can choose to walk in love and grow. 
You can choose to react, and then entrenched habits go deeper into your life. So every time that we get into conflicts and difficulties, we can choose love or fear. We can choose grace or judgment. We choose, and you will make the choice. So with difficulties that you may be facing, whether it's at home, family, with people you've been friends with, every one of us can choose grace or judgment. And I encourage you to choose grace because grace will make you a better person. Grace will cause you to grow immensely in your stature with God. The Bible says when we love those who don't love us, when we you know, bless those who curse us, then it says we're like our Father in heaven and he rewards us because he's kind to everyone, even the unkind people. He's kind to them. So you can make a choice to practice kindness. You can practice generosity. You can practice grace. So every conflict situation, every situation you face where there's these difficulties, you can choose a great response. Because why? You've got the spirit of grace inside you to enable you to make the choice and to empower you to do it. you just got to decide how you're going to go. Of course, sometimes we'd much rather prove we're right. Sometimes we'd much rather have an argument and prove they're wrong. You know, we'd rather be called, listen, that's not the way to go as a believer. That's not how you become a follower of Christ. Followers of Christ behave differently. So here's a few things you could do. Number one, when you're going through a journey like that, here's number one of all. Turn into the Lord. Get a hold of God. Reconnect with the Lord. Get in touch with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he can comfort you and help you and give you wisdom and show you exactly what to do. So we must never disconnect from the Lord. We need to make a conscious intention. I'll rise. I'll pray specifically through the season. And the focus of my prayer is putting my attention on God to get his perspective. Otherwise, I'm caught down here on a low perspective. I need to be in God's perspective. When you get into God's perspective, you see life differently. You can handle it differently. So the first place is to get into prayer and worship. And part of that is talking about the pain, about the struggle, about the fear, about the grief, about the loss, about the uncertainties and the doubts, is actually having a really good, honest time with God. Let your emotions go. It isn't always easy for some people. I found as a, as a spiritual leader, I've walked through many battles and many difficult times, and you can't be up on a platform falling apart. That means you have to make decisions to get hold of God and believe God and find grace and continue through a difficult time, even if you have very strong personal feelings of your own. However, you still need to find a way to let those feelings out. Otherwise, it becomes incredibly unhealthy. So all of us need to have an honest time with God when we're walking through difficulties of life and so on. Second thing is, and the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4, Now the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, will comfort you. He will. And why is he going to comfort you? One, because he loves you and likes you, and he wants to help you. And he hasn't got offside with you. And just because someone said that you made the wrong decision doesn't mean you're now cursed and God hates you. Not at all. How can that be? How could that be? That would mean that my works are what makes me having a relationship with God. And actually, our relationship with God is a gift to us, given by Jesus Christ. So even if I goof it up, he isn't going to stop loving me and liking me. He's going to help me, and so I can help other people. So the great outworking is God will comfort you so you're in a great place to help others. Here's the second thing is you need to turn on love. I, lo- I read a book by Danny Silk, a very impacting book, Turn On Your Love. Probably one of the best books I've read in a long time. 
I encourage you to get it. It'll be one of the most powerful books on handling relationships that I have ever seen. Absolutely powerful. And, and turn on your love means make a decision you're going to walk in love. It's a decision to actually walk in the love of God, to forgive people when you don't want to forgive them, to bless them when they may be talking about you, to love on them. Just make a decision, I will love on you. Now, so turning on your love means that you've got to overcome the feelings of tension. You've got to deal with what's inside you and not let fear and anxiety run you down. You've got to actually make a decision. I'll meditate that God has given me a spirit of love. I will operate out of love. Even though I feel fear, feel anxiety, I will still move towards people with a spirit of love and make a decision on the inside. God is with me. Here's the third thing. Choose to connect, not avoid. And that's a difficult one. Have you ever noticed you walk down the road, someone crossed the road to avoid you? And not a good thing, is it? And maybe you've crossed the road to avoid someone too. You know, that could well be. But we don't need to avoid people. Avoiding people communicates a message that you've judged and rejected them, that you don't want any connection on them. What the better thing to do is to smile and make them welcome. That's also smile. It's so good to see you and make the person welcome in your life. Why would you need to do that? Well, two reasons. One, you're going to live in heaven forever with them. So might as well get used to living with them now. And secondly, that's how God wants us to relate to one another. The Bible says in Romans 15 and verse 7, it says, welcome one another, accept one another, just like Jesus did for you. So how did Jesus accept you? Did he cross the road when he saw you? Boy, you've got a bad life. I don't like you. I'm out of here. He didn't do that. He, he reached out to you to make you welcome. When you came down and your life was dripping a mess, so much mess you want, if it's ever possible, anything to come right, he put his arms around you, welcome you. And that's why the Bible says you connect with people that way. See, the trouble is we get knowledge about their perceived misgivings or lacks or failures or whatever, or we think we're right and they're wrong. We get kind of judgments in the heart. Now we're going to measure them. You don't deserve for me to be nice to you. Now that's, that's in judgment. That's not in grace. God gives grace where none of us are deserving of it. It's because he's a generous person. So when you're kind to someone who you don't really want to be kind to, you are demonstrating the grace of God. This is what God is like. You choose to do that. It's a decision to make them welcome in your world, no matter what. Even if there is a bit of difficulty, tension, awkwardness, you can still make people welcome. I find when people just shut you off and turn you off or won't even talk to you, I'll just use a word for it, a four-letter word. Rude. It's just rude. It's just rude. There you go. You thought I might say something else, didn't you? Now, you're all leaning forward, hoping I'd really lose it this time. There it is, rude. It's just rude when people just snub, ignore, or just don't talk to you. It's just rude. That's the only word you can... Rude, ignorant, immature, there are lots of words. Okay, so choose to connect, not avoid. Here's a, here's, a, here's a fourth thing. You need to consider whether you're going to engage in an honest conversation. Engage in an honest conversation. Now, that's the hard part. That is always the difficult part. You probably need a bit of help and some skills in doing that. You know, in Genesis uh, chapter 3, in verse 8, when Adam had blown it completely, God initiated a friendly talk to him. He came down. He said, hello. I want to find Adam. I wonder if he's hiding. I wonder where he is. Over here. Oh, hello, Adam. I found you. But he initiated. And here's the thing. He said, where are you? In other words, he initiated communication to find what was happening in Adam's world. And most times when we meet people, we want to tell them what's happening in our world. When you do that, you're not listening. So one of the things is, it's best just to initiate a connection which is a little more honest than perhaps you feel comfortable with. 
And an honest conversation would be to make the person welcome and then say, hey, I'm just feeling a bit of a distance between us, I'm feeling a bit of tension in our relationship. Can we talk about that? I'm really missing you. I'm feeling the distance and I'm grieving over it. Can we talk about that a bit? You understand, I'm not judging or giving any, ascribing any reason why the person's going through that. I'm just inviting them to connect and talk about the thing that seems to be like the big elephant. Eh? Otherwise, we'll have a nice conversation. Hi, how you doing? Great, great. Everything going well? Blah, 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 blah. And it's just a blah, blah conversation. Rather than actually just get down and be a bit more authentic and say, hey, we've been walking together as friends for a long time. I'm really feeling the tension and distance right now. Can we just talk about it? Now, you've got to remember, they're entitled to their opinion. They're entitled to their actions. You're not there to try and do anything to persuade them or change them or anything. It's there to find a way to reconnect. That's what God did. That's how we can do stuff. And in doing that, you need to listen to what is happening in their world. There's some boundaries around that in a moment. But you've also got to be willing to share what's in your world too. That's, that's what makes this work. And if they want to listen to you, then you've already lost that relationship. Uh, it was never strong in the first place, perhaps. So engage in an honest conversation. And remember, people you talk to may only have a version of the truth, and in their mind it's just the real thing, and it's all the thing, and you may only have a bit of it anyway. So just engage in an open conversation, not about who's right and wrong, but actually how we can connect, how we can build a bridge, and what do we need to do to do that. And that's how you do it. And however, you may need to be prepared to set boundaries. It's necessary in holding conversations like that to be willing to set a boundary. What do I mean by boundary? Boundary is where you say that's enough. Boundary is where you stop something invading your life that would be destructive or hurtful to you or disrespectful to you. Got the idea on that? Just a boundary. And the boundary is very simple. It can be just to put your hand up and say, please stop. I'm not willing to have you talk that way about someone I love. I'm not willing to have you talk that way to me. Until you can respect me, this conversation has finished. Now, for some of you, that would be a real hard thing to do, but actually it's one of the best things you can do to stop the stuff defiling you. Because there's a tendency in the Kiwi culture, I guess it's everywhere, is people want to download their stuff. And probably the best thing I could do would be to say, it's like they treated you like a trash can and put their foot on, their foot on your foot and your head opened up and you took the load. Just of the rubbish. You, you can't afford to do that. You can't let people disrespect you because you're of value too. And a person disrespects you when they won't listen to you and your view and allow you to have it. They're trying to change it. That's disrespect. Uh, it's disrespect when someone runs someone else down in front of you because if they're doing that for that person, they'll be doing it to you to someone else. And if you stand up for that person while they're not there, then for sure you're respecting yourself. So sometimes boundaries are needed. And so in relationship difficulties like that, sometimes you've got to put a boundary and say, that's enough. This conversation's finished. I don't want anyone to be talking to me in that kind of way. And uh, we can hold the conversation again when you're able to treat and talk with me with some respect. Oh, you got all quiet over that one. It's okay to do that. And it's okay not to talk to them again. You understand? We've got to be agents of the kingdom and Jesus didn't put up with stuff. He walked away at times. See? Sometimes people portray Jesus as a, as a woman with a beard, you know, like 
very feminine and soft, but he's got a masculine beard and we're in confusion. But he was really strong and straight and said it like I was. And he wasn't, he wasn't at all behind saying what he thought to people. He was very kind to people, but he actually spoke the truth and spoke it straight and then let people make their own decision what they're going to do with it. And finally, the last thing is uh, we need to be willing to initiate new connections. You just got to take ownership. Sometimes when things in life change. So you just take some, you start some new connections. You actually initiate doing something new. Meet some new people, make some new friendships, go to some place you haven't been before, start to connect with people you've never met before. Why? Because friendships is about your journey, not so much theirs. It's about you being a friend to people and it empowers you if you make those decisions. Notice all of the things I shared, though they might be difficult, you can do them. You just got to make a decision. That's the sort of person I'll be. And I'll grow into that sort of person. Can you say amen to that? I'm going to have the service come up and serve communion. And uh, some of you be thinking deeply about it. I've been thinking deeply about this. So today I was talking to me as well as to many. Talking to me as well as to many. And as I began to think, I started to feel. I said, God, you just got to help me to feel the way you feel and to actually connect with the feelings of loss that I have. As we have a time of communion, what it does is it focuses us again that Jesus came to deal with disconnection. He came into the world and demonstrated love to a people disconnected. Every one of us was disconnected from God. Every one of us, Jesus initiated the connection. You weren't that smart, you got yourself saved. Someone came to you and shared the gospel. Someone Jesus sent to you to share the gospel. And so when we were disconnected, God initiated a plan to connect with us. And I'm sure when people talk to you about Jesus, it was awkward. I'm sure when they first talked to you about the Lord, it wasn't an easy conversation. I'm sure you didn't actually reply very well the first time around may have been even quite rude, but still Jesus persevered and someone came to you. So as we take the bread and we take the cup, we just remember in our heart very clearly that through what Jesus has done, the breach is broken. We can now be connected with God. We take the cup. As we open our heart to just repent of sin, we're reminded without any work of mine, I can come back into a connection with the Father. We take the bread, it reminds us that every one of us is part, we're connected to Jesus, therefore we're connected to one another. It reminds us that we are one. Now just as you take the bread and take the cup, just open your heart to the Lord today and ask the question, God, what are you saying to me? What is it I need to get right in my heart with you today? Lord, I just draw upon your presence so I take the bread, I take the cup. I thank you, Lord, for your amazing love. I thank you, Lord, you initiated connection to me. You sent people into my life. You persevered because you believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself. I thank you for the blood that you shed at Calvary that's covered every sin and failure in the past. And everyone in the future, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, to take the bread. I'm not disconnected. I'm part of a body of people 
called the Church of the Living God. A victorious people. A people you love. People that's growing into maturity as we walk in the Spirit of God and let His Word take root in our heart. Lord, today, I ask that you would give me grace to walk in love towards places where there are relational breaches. Help me, Lord, to recognize tension and distance and instead of judging it, to observe it and to initiate making people welcome in my world. Give me courage to hold conversations that are difficult and awkward because they touch the real issues of the heart. Give me strength to set boundaries so I respect myself and don't just get walked over by someone else's junk. Lord, help me to build great connections, loving connections, because I need them. Let's just eat the bread. Just thank the Lord for his goodness to you. Just drink the cup. Thank the Lord for all he's done. And what I'd like you to do is like you just to pray for someone near to you. Ask them, can I pray for you? Always ask their permission. Is there any specific thing I can pray for? If there's nothing specific, then why don't you just begin to value them as someone that Jesus loves and begin to pray blessing on them. If you can prophesy, just speak a word of encouragement into their life. But bless the person there. If you're new here and you're uncomfortable with that, just say, thank you for offering, but I'd just be happy to sit here. You don't have to be under any pressure. Father, we just thank you for this body, this family. May your love and grace just continue to flow in our lives in Jesus' name.